This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Yidikar, where we are dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's sermons and talks, just the good stuff. We hope you'll enjoy. Thank you for your support. I, I just want to like pick up where, where Rye left off, right? You did such a great job. I mean, you really did such a beautiful job with, as you said, such difficult material. I mean, such, whenever one of our barabat mitzvahs, you know, you, you don't, you like meet and then you figure, okay, when's the date? And you look on the calendar, you're like, oh, it's Tazria. Okay, well, you know, we're gonna do our best. We're gonna make meaning of this somehow. And you really did, did, did that. And, and I, 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 uh, I was very impressed. But, but that is to say that these, these readings this week and next week, Tazria and Mitzora usually read together, are really some of the most challenging and sort of alienating readings historically in the Torah. Leviticus itself is always difficult, the animal sacrifices, but now we get into purity laws and it has to do with, as you said, skin disease. Do I really want to be read bodily fluids? It just seems gross and can we just like skip it already? Um, but I have to say, I have to say that one of the silver linings of the pandemic Right? The pandemic was a, a time when we learned about silver linings. One of the silver linings of the pandemic was that, for rabbis anyway, is that Leviticus suddenly came alive. That, that Leviticus suddenly seemed deeply, deeply relevant, more relevant than any other part of the we, we The first year of the pandemic, when we passed through these parshot, they, it suddenly, these, these, these parshot that I try to race through, try to skip, Try not to assign to, to, to bar mitzvah kids that I like, right? Suddenly seemed, <laughs> suddenly seemed like this is the most important Torah that we have. The Torah of sickness, the Torah of infection, right? The Torah of, of, of healing. What do we, what, what, it suddenly, every word seemed important. Every word seemed um, relevant. And not just the relevance, but actually, as we, as we started to read Leviticus more closely than ever, started to appreciate actually the beauty of Leviticus, the emotional depth of, of Leviticus, um, the, 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 um, the profundity of, of Leviticus, the, 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 the true experiential quality of Leviticus. And I want to just highlight some moments in Leviticus, which seems like just, again, this catalog of laws, purity laws, sacrificial laws, but there are moments of pathos. There are moments that are particularly vivid where you, you feel like you're glimpsing a little bit into the inner experience of the people going through, in this case, these, these sicknesses. So I just want to highlight a couple of passages that over the last couple of years have suddenly popped out for me and become core, key pieces of Torah. And the first one here is from this week's Parsha. It's, uh, it's this, first, uh, ver uh, this uh, first text here, um, again, about the, the, same, the same figure that, that, that Rai was speaking about, the, the Matsora, the, the person afflicted with this, we sometimes translate it as leprosy, but that's not exactly the right word, some kind of disease. The Hatsarua, Asher Bo Hanega, the Tsarua, the person afflicted with, this, with the disease upon him, Bagadaviu Frumim Veroshoye Farua. His clothes shall be torn and his hair shall be disheveled. That language actually, um, we just studied last week. That language was, was there when Moses told um, the Aaron and his family not to mourn. 
Um, these are exactly the things that Moses told Aaron not to do, not to dishevel his hair or rip his clothes. Um, so there's something in this, um, in this ritual of, of treating the sick that actually includes a kind of mourning, a kind of, a kind of mourning that is, that, is, that is a part of the process. Okay, and then it continues, Val safam yate, he shall cover his upper lip. Not sure what that means. Vitame tame yikra. And the person who's sick shall say, tame, tame, right? Which is sometimes translated as impure, impure. But it's, in this case, it's, I'm sick, I'm sick. Like the person gets the, uh, the COVID test back, right? And has to tell everybody. I'm sick, has to declare it. And what is that experience like to stand on the street and say, tame, tame? And then this line, and the person shall be tame as long as the disease is present, tamehu. Badad yeshev michutz moshavo. Being tame, he shall sit alone. Badad yeshev michutz in a dwelling outside of the camp, all alone. That's a very, very specific language. He doesn't just sit outside the camp, but sits. All alone, the Torah takes time to tell us. That phrase is like, is, it's, it, 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 it's haunting. Just to think about the person, the sick person, outside of the community, just sitting there in quarantine, in isolation. And these kinds of words suddenly seem like, oh, yes, I know what this is like. I know what it's like to be isolated. I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to be afraid that I might transmit something. I didn't have to sequester myself from society. So to read these words with greater depth, this is one of the things the pandemic has given us. But, but, but our, our sages have been doing this for centuries. And one um, that I, I want to, to follow for just a, a couple of minutes here uh, is the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra, 12th century Spanish commentator. And I spent a lot of time with the Ibn Ezra over the pandemic. I, I, our most famous commentator is Rashi. And Rashi is like the most fun because Rashi brings like the wild stories of the Midrash. And I've always, always been a, a Rashi guy. But I spent a lot of time with the Ibn Ezra over the pandemic because I had a lot of time. And I was like, gotta learn the Ibn Ezra. And the Ibn Ezra is such an incredibly precise and careful reader of texts. And I wanna give you a sense of how the Ibn Ezra is looking at some of these texts which seem so relevant to me and how the Ibn Ezra makes them even feel even more relevant to my experience. So what was that, that, what was that line about al-Safam yate, uh, he covers his, his upper lip? Uh, the commentators debate, what is this? So he's like, what do you, what, why does he have to cover his, his upper lip? Um, so the Ibn Ezra says there, he shall cover his upper, upper lip with, with a piece of cloth, with his garments. And the reason is so that he does not harm anyone with the breath of his mouth. To not harm anyone with the breath of his mouth. Now, I don't know, they didn't, I don't know they had the same respiratory kind of science back then. And some of the other commentators are like, oh, he must mean that he just had very, very, very bad breath, right? But I don't think so. I, I think that the Torah here is, is worried that there's some contamination that is in this person that can come out and that the breath of his mouth can do damage. That's, that's COVID Torah. The Ibn Ezra is writing COVID Torah for us, right? So it's just so striking, the relevance of it. But more striking to me than the relevance is, as I said, the kind of the, the experiential depth that our, that our, that our texts and our, and, our, and our commentators are sensitive to. And I want to, again, return just to that phrase, badad yeshev, 
all alone he shall sit. And the Ibn Ezra has a little bit of an unusual formulation here. Usually he quotes the word and then gives an explanation. But here he says, Milat Badad, the word Badad alone, Mifureshet Bamigilat Echa. That will be explained, or that is explained in full depth in the Book of Lamentations. This word alone, if you look over into the Book of Lamentations, then you'll understand what the meaning is of Badad. Now that's quite a thing to say. What do you, just explain it to me now. But okay, I go looking, I go over to the Book of Lamentations. Now the Book of Lamentations, in Hebrew it's called Eicha, which means how? How could it be? How could such a thing be? And the Book of Lamentations, the, the how could it be, is referring to the, to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the exile, to the first exile that will lead to thousands of years of exile. It's the book that we read on Tisha B'Av, when we mourn the destruction of the temple and the, and the destruction of, of, our, of our sovereign society and the, and the expulsion of the people of Israel from the land of Israel. Okay, so, so this word alone is going to be explained over... The, where is it going to be explained? But actually, you don't have to look very far. Because if you go to the book of Lamentations, the very first line, the very first phrase of the book of Lamentations is, Eicha, how could it be? Yashva badad ha'ir rabatiam. All alone sits the city, once so full of people. All alone. And that phrase echoes. That's a very particular and unique phrase that echoes. And because that phrase, sitting all alone, it appears once in the Torah, and it only ever appears again in the writing, by, by, by tradition, in the writings of Jeremiah. Twice here in, in the book of Lamentations and once in the book of Jeremiah. By tradition, we say that Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations because Jeremiah was the prophet of doom that lived in the last, the last decades of, the, of, the, of the, the kingdom of Israel before it was destroyed and, and, and we were going into exile. And it was a society in decline. It was a society in corruption. It was a society that was already unraveling. And Jeremiah was saying, Things are getting bad. We have to watch out. I am going to tell you that the, what is going to be, the exile is coming. And when Jeremiah did that, when Jeremiah did that, the language that he found most useful to him was from our Parsha, was from the Torah of the Metzorah, was from this verse in Leviticus. That was the image that Jeremiah wanted us to have when we thought not just about sickness, but about, about a sick society about a whole world that was sick, right? The best image that he could use, the best metaphor he could, he could give to that condition was, was sickness, because, because he was calling for a kind of healing. And he borrowed from the language of this, this Parsha that, that we usually glaze over, that usually seems so irrelevant to us, right? So it isn't just that these Parsha teach us about sickness in a way that I never paid attention to before. But actually, it is that these parshas teach us that sickness teaches us so much. That what it is to be sick and to be isolated and alone has much to teach us beyond just sickness, but, but to teach us about all manner of suffering, all manner of exile. So what has our sickness taught us? What have these last two years? Have we learned anything from these last two years? Surely we have. We learned to read Leviticus better. What else have we learned? What else have we learned? We should start talking about that. 
We should start processing the Torah that has emerged from this unique experience that we have been through. Because we can't just, we, we, we can't just run back into life. We have, to, we have to figure out what it was that we learned in this time, or else it was all just a waste, else it was all just suffering, just suffering. You know, Judaism um, doesn't celebrate suffering, and, you know, we don't even know why there is suffering, but we do try to make meaning of, the, of our suffering, and that's Torah, that's Torah. Torah is the attempt to make meaning of the world around us, the joys and the sorrows. So what have we learned? I, um, I, yesterday, I, uh, I had the privilege to sit with Dr. Jody Myers and learn a little Torah. Dr. Jody Myers, who many of you know, is on a real healing journey, a, a serious healing journey, right? Had recently had brain surgery and is, and is, ongoing, uh, 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 is, is undergoing um, radiation. And, um, and yet, I went to study Torah with her because, uh, as her son told me, that, she, she, that part of her brain is back. Her Torah brain is, is awake and alive and hungry. And it is true. I mean, she, by her own account, she gets confused about certain things. She's, she's in healing, right? But Torah, she's ready for. And she's quoting, I go over there and she's quoting the Talmud and Moshe Halbertal. And just like, I brought a few texts that I thought, you know, she might want to look at, but she's like interested in something else. She said, no, I want to talk about animals. I want to talk about animals. What, where where in, in, our, in our Torah do we see animals celebrated? Like thinking about it, and I was like, maybe in creation, and she came up with Job later on, and I came up with Psalm 104. We're talking about, and then I said to her, why, do, why does it matter to you? She said, well, I just, something has happened, and I just cannot bear the system of animal sacrifice anymore. I cannot bear it. The idea that in order to become close to God, we have to rely on the pain and suffering of another living being. I cannot bear it. She said, I, I, you know, I've been a vegetarian since 68, but I've always been able to justify this. This is a part of our tradition, and I just can't do it anymore. So I'm, hung, I, I'm yearning for a Torah of, of animals, of love for animals, because I cannot bear the suffering of animals. And I, and I asked her, and I had to ask her, do, do you think that this, that this new sensitivity is, is emerging from, from your own ex recent experience of physical vulnerability? She said, of course, of course. You know, being in a hospital room, she said, for weeks on end, it's like being a caged animal. It's like being a caged animal. And then she said, the most remarkable thing, she said, I, I, she gave me permission to share this, but she said, uh, she said, you know, I have had a relatively pain-free healing process. And then the next phrase she said, when they cut into my head, I had anesthesia power of someone being able to recognize the gift of anesthesia when they are talking about their own head being cut into, right? They, I had anesthesia, right? I, so it's personal to me. It's personal to me. She said, I cannot bear the idea that we would practice our religion, that we would get close to God through the pain of others. And you know, I have to say, I, you know, I've heard a lot of critiques of the ancient sacrificial system, and I, I'm a defender of the tradition. I usually like, yeah, no, I get it. it it's not real. But I heard it. I heard it from, 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 from Jody. I, I heard it. Because I knew that she knew something that I didn't know, that she had access to Torah that I didn't have, that she saw now our tradition in a way that I could never see it, and that she had not seen it before. 
She got something from her experience. She has new Torah to share with us. Right? What, are, what have we gotten from our experience? What Torah do we have to share from our experience? Because, you know, uh, we drew from the story of the, of the sick person in Leviticus to teach us about exile, that something about exile is like sickness. But the connection flows both ways. Right? Something about sickness is like exile. And we know that, don't we? We know that because we've been in exile. We've been in exile now for two years. And, 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 and when we look at a, at, a, at a verse like, all alone sits the city, once so full of people, we know what that looks like. And it wasn't because we were kicked out of our land, it was because we were fleeing into our houses. We know what that looks like, right? So I, that brings me just to this last text here, which speaks uh, another, uh, another striking moment in the experience of the, of the Mitzorah, the, 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 sick, the, the sick person in the Torah, um, who goes outside of the camp and then needs to wait. What is it? No, 10 days, five days, two weeks? You know, what, what, what's the time period? But whatever, waiting until he is healed. And then, and then the one to be purified shall, at, shall wash his clothes, shave off all of his hair, and bathe in water, all of these cleaning, purification, sanitation rituals, and then shall be pure. And after that, and after that, he comes back into the camp. By the way, his healing journey is not over. He comes back into the camp, but sits outside his tent for seven days still in the ritual process of healing, but he, but he is brought back into the camp. Sometimes people need to be isolated, we know that now, but the goal is to bring them back into the camp, bring them back into the camp, but not all the way back. Right? Why does he sit outside his tent for seven days? I, I, I think it's so that people see him and come over and ask, how was that? What did you learn? What was your experience like? I'm so sorry that you had to go through this suffering. Tell, tell me about it. Tell me about it. What did you learn? What is the Torah that you gained from this experience? We are now just beginning to come back into the camp, right? I, we, are, I, we are just outside the tent right here, right? So what, what have we learned? Let's begin to process that with each other. Let's begin to share our Torah with one another because we need it from each other, but also because this is what we do. We make meaning of our suffering and then we record it and we call that Torah. And then we put it in a book and we save it and one day some Jeremiah, some Ibn Ezra, some Ra Yunker is gonna need that Torah and is gonna show us how it applies to the world of then. So let's, let's begin to write the Torah of today. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brous again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.